We are continuing our summer series this morning, uh, looking at the words and the deeds of Jesus. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke, looking at Luke 9, starting in verse 37 through 43. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one on the, the outside aisle there. Luke 9, starting in verse 37. Before we read our passage this morning, I'd like to go back and pray, and I'd like to ask you to pray with me as we pray. I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that God would open up your heart to show show you what it is that he has to say to you this morning. This isn't an exercise in me just standing up here talking, but this is an opportunity for each one of us to take God's word and to apply it to our lives. And so I ask that we all pray together uh, and ask God to bless this time of Bible study. Heavenly Father, we really do believe that. We believe that this is a time of you speaking into our hearts and into our minds, Father. And so I pray right now that you would open us up, myself included, to hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning. I pray that you would make us receptive, that you would break down the walls that we have built up, the barriers to hearing your word, and that you would bring us to a place where we are humble before you. And willing to receive what it is that you have to say to us through your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray right now that you would empty me of myself, Father, for I have nothing to offer here. Everything that we get comes from you. I pray that you would speak through me. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Luke 9. Starting in verse 37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. I don't think I have to tell you that we live in a fallen and sinful, broken world. I mean, the things around us are constantly falling apart. Our cars break down, our houses need maintenance. Even our bodies, we wake up in the morning and realize we're not quite as young as we used to be. And maybe the things that we did on Saturday don't feel quite as good on a Sunday morning anymore. We live in a world where things are constantly falling apart and we're always fighting against that. It seems like in my life, at least, 
There's always something that needs to be fixed. There's always something that is broken. There's always something going wrong. And that's a product of the fact that we live in a world that has been marred by the fall. A world that is broken from sin. Then we all need help. All of these things, we go find help. The car breaks down, we take it to a mechanic. If something breaks on the house, we try to fix it ourselves and we make it worse. And then we got to call somebody to come fix the damage that we did and the original problem. And if something breaks on our body, we go see a doctor. Hopefully, hopefully we don't ignore it. Sometimes we ignore it and it goes away. Sometimes we ignore it, it gets worse, and then we got to go to another doctor. But all of these things, we go different places to try to find help from all of these things that happen to us in our lives. But the thing is, all of these fixes that we do, they're temporary fixes. Because eventually, in 100 years or 200 years, all of the houses that we live in will not be there anymore. They may fall down. They may be abandoned. Somebody will buy it, knock it down, build something bigger. All of our cars, hopefully they'll run for a while. You don't see many cars on the road today that are 100 years old, do you? You don't see many cars on the road today that are 10 years old. All of these things that we do are temporary. Even when a doctor helps us, even when God steps in and miraculously heals someone, we know that it's only temporary. Everyone will die. That is a product of the world that we live in. I hate to break it to you this morning. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. But we will all die someday. It's just how it is. That's the world that we live in now. But this is the same world that Jesus lived in. This is the same world that Jesus was born into, the same world that Jesus came into, a world that was dying, a world that was lost, a world that was broken, a world that was sinful. There's two key differences here. Number one is that Jesus had the power to overcome that sin. Jesus was not like we are bound to temporary fixes. He just had the power to overcome that sin and he had the mercy to not just lord that power over people, but to actually use that power for good, to help people. And when he left this world, it was never the same again. Jesus came into a fallen, broken, sinful world. And yes, we still feel the effects of that sin But we know that when Jesus came, he died on the cross and he rose again, defeating sin and death once and for all. And so now we live in a world where we feel the effects of the sin. But we know that ultimately Jesus has won. That when Jesus came, he left a world where now we have hope. And so we see that this morning in our story, in this interaction that Jesus has with his father. We recognize that God has the power to save us from whatever it is that plagues us, be it something physical, spiritual, relational. God has the power to save us, but he not only has the power to save us, but he has the mercy 
to actually do it. And so therefore, we should always turn to him in all situations. Look at this father. His encounter with this man and his son. They come to Jesus. And it sounds like this is a pretty hopeless situation here. I mean, here is the man. It's his only son. And so you think already, you know, it's a very cherished child. In that culture, only having one son was sort of a reflection upon you that you were supposed to have many children. And so it makes a point to, to say, this is my only son. To stress the importance of this. And yet, he's in this hopeless situation because he's having these seizures, these evil spirits. And when I was a kid, I wanted a dog really bad. And for whatever reason, my mom said I couldn't have a dog. And so for about two and a half years, I prayed every night that God would bring us a dog. And then one day, my mom went out of town on a trip. and My dad got us a dog. <laughs> I don't know how that phone call went. It was a stray, though. And it was a dog that was kind of kind of a mutt. And he was kind of mangy. But I loved him. His name was Benji. Benji loved to wander. If you left the gate open for any period of time, Benji would get out. And Benji would wander. And I would spend the rest of the day on my bicycle riding around the neighborhood calling for Benji. And I never found him, but he always came back. But Benji was an interesting dog because we think he'd been hit by a car because Benji used to have seizures. And you never really could tell when Benji was going to have a seizure. But it just kind of came on and he would stiffen up and he would foam at the mouth and and do sort of all of these things. And as a 9, 10, 11 year old child, this was kind of scary to me because I didn't really understand it. And so obviously I'm not comparing a dog to a child, but in a way I sort of feel this this father's pain because when someone has a seizure, if you take any kind of first aid class, they teach you essentially the only thing you can do is try to keep this person from hurting themselves. There's not really anything you can do to stop it. There's not really anything that you can do once it starts. It starts and you just kind of have to let it run its course. And so there's not really anything you can do. And so as we think about this morning, the hopeless situation that this father finds himself in, we think about here he is in this place, desperate for something, anything to help him. You think about how many different things this father would have gone to to help his only child. Who would he have talked to? Well, he probably would have gone and talked to anyone that was available to do anything. And we see that even, I'm sure, word was spreading about Jesus' disciples and their ability to heal people and to cast out demons. And so he brings them to Jesus' disciples and he asks them, And they're unable to do this. So you have to think that this man is just crushed. Because here he is. He has this great hope that's built up. I've heard about these men that can help me. And then they can't. So who knows what else it is. And finally he hears about Jesus. And so almost as a last resort. He comes to Jesus. And in Mark 9, we get kind of the director's cut, if you will, of this story. Mark provides us with some more details. 
You kind of see the desperation in this man's voice when he comes to Jesus and he basically says to him, hey, Jesus, if you can, can you heal this boy, my son? If you can, that says to me that there's been a lot of failed efforts to heal this boy. And Jesus says to him, if I can. Yes. But only if you believe. And at this point, the man says, utters what may be my favorite line uttered in the Bible, because I identify with it so much. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I know I find myself in that place so many times when I'm facing some sort of a hopeless situation, some kind of a place where it come and I'm not able to. To do it on my own. And I come and I say I believe. Help my unbelief. Think about it this way. I like to water ski. And if you've ever been out on a lake in a boat. And you've wakeboarded or water skied or anything like that. You know as you're sitting in the water. You're kind of waiting there. And you're kind of by yourself. And you're holding on to the rope. And it's not quite slack yet. Or it's got some slack in it. It's not quite taut yet. And you, you've got your skis pointed up. And. Or you got your wakeboard kind of pointed up and you're waiting for the, the person and the, the driver saying, are you ready? And you're like, yeah, I'm ready. I told you that like 30 seconds ago. Like, can we go now? And you're sitting there and you're waiting and you hear the boat go first. And then you feel that line go and it starts to pull you out of the water. And there's a split second there as you're getting pulled out of the water and the water's rushing all around you. And your skis haven't quite come all the way up yet. You're probably about two thirds of the way out of the water and you're holding on and your arms are stretched as far as they can. You're like, I've totally got this. I've totally got this. I've totally got this. And then, bam, you let go and the rope flies 50 feet in there and you're like, I don't got this. You come to this place. I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. I don't have this. And I think that's where this man was when he came to Jesus. He says, I believe, but I've been let down so many times. By so many other people, even your disciples have let me down, Jesus. And so you'll have to forgive me, Jesus, because I've been burned too many times to just come to you and say, absolutely, whatever you say. I believe, no, he comes to him and says, Jesus, I'm going to be real honest with you right here. I believe, but I need your help. Help my unbelief. And you know, if you've ever water skied or wakeboarded, that the more that you fight the boat, the more that you struggle, the more that you try to get out of the water, the harder it is. That really what you're supposed to do is just sit there and let the boat pull you up. And if you sit there and let the boat pull you up, nine times out of ten, the boat's going to pull you up. Because the boat is more powerful. The boat has the power to get you out of the water. And I think we come to that place with Jesus where we try it on our own. We try to do our own thing. We try all these other methods and all these other things to get us to a place where we can fix it ourselves. And we end up making a mess out of it because we don't have the power in ourselves to fix whatever the problem is that we're facing. We need to come to Jesus and let him Fix it for us.
And so Jesus comes and he heals this man's son in spite of his struggle to believe. So he has the power not only to heal his son, but the mercy to do it too. Jesus doesn't give this man a lecture on why he's a terrible person because he doesn't believe. He doesn't give him 47 things that he needs to do to make up for all the dumb stuff that he's done trying to heal his son in the past. No. Jesus comes and he immediately heals him. And I think there's some similarities that we can see in Jesus' encounter with this man and his son and Jesus' encounter with us. Because I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I've faced hopeless situations. And I've come up against things that felt like There was nothing that could be done. And I've gone to people that I thought were godly people that I thought could help me and they couldn't. And we face hopeless situations all the time. Sometimes something physical. Sometimes it's a relationship. It's been broken. Sometimes it's a struggle with our family. All of these things weigh heavy on our hearts, and we try all kinds of different things to fix them. We try to do it ourselves. We face a hopeless situation in our sin as well. Because we can't save ourselves. We're fallen, broken, sinful people. And so, in our earthly struggles... And our spiritual struggles, both of those, we need to come to Jesus and allow him in his power and his mercy to do his work. To come to him and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Forgive me for the ways that I've demonstrated my unbelief and all of these things that I've done before. And so we come to God and we say, God, I'm struggling here. I've tried all these things. I need you. I need your help. Please help me. We become, in that moment, recipients of God's grace and mercy. And sometimes he uses his power and manifests it in healing the things here on earth that we face. Sometimes physical healing happens. Sometimes relationships are restored. Sometimes broken families are brought back together. But we know that in all of those, that ultimately they're temporary. And sometimes God doesn't do that. Sometimes there isn't healing. Sometimes a broken relationship isn't restored. And a family stays separated. So what do we do in that time? In that time, we have to rest in the fact that we know that while Jesus was here on earth, he healed a lot of people. But you know what happened to all of those people that he healed? They died. Lazarus rose from the dead. But he eventually died again. And so we have to rest in the confidence That Jesus, in his death on the cross, must have died for something bigger, something better than us here on earth. And we know that one day we'll come to a place 
If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we have a relationship with him, we know that one day we come to a place in heaven where there will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more disease. There will be no more death. And we will be able to bask in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we will come to a place where no longer we have to worry about all the things that plague our minds here on earth. But instead, we'll be in perfect fellowship with God. Because we have been recipients of his power and his mercy. It's the permanent solution to all of the problems that we face. All of the things that we encounter. And I think this allows us to have confidence in the face of struggle. I don't know what it is that you're facing today. I don't know what kind of situation that you find yourself in. I don't know what you're looking at that seems hopeless. Maybe you're not. And that's wonderful. But maybe you are. But I do know that Jesus came into this fallen, sinful, broken world. To change it so that we didn't have to suffer in that. And so that we can come to a place of confidence to know that even when physical healing doesn't occur, even when relationships don't get restored, even when families stay broken, that we're able to be in a place where we know that one day all the wrongs will be made right. That's a hard place to be because we really, really want those things to work out. We really want all of the things that are around us to be made right. Because we have a sense of justice. And that's good. And that's okay. And we can want those things and we can pray for those things. But we can also recognize that ultimately the permanent solution rests in God's hands. And so what is our response to that? Well, we have a quiet confidence. And we think, I think we do the same as this crowd. They were all in amazement at the greatness of God. We come back to a place where we look at God's greatness. And we see that he wasn't content just to leave us here in this fallen sinful world. He didn't allow us to just wallow around in, in the things that we have. But he sent his son here to die on the cross for you and for me. And for all the stupid things that I've done. And all the ways that I've messed everything up trying to fix things myself instead of going to Jesus and trying to rest in his power and mercy. For all the ways that I have erred and sinned. For all those things, that's why Jesus died on the cross. And so we should be amazed at that. Because what does he get? Nothing. Except for a relationship with me. And that's what he wants, a relationship with you and a relationship with me. And so we can stand in wonder and amazement in that. And we can have gratitude for the blessings that we do have, because really, when you think about it, everything around us should be falling apart. Everything around us should be broken. Every breath that we have, every moment that we have. That isn't marred by something terrible is an incredible blessing of God's grace and mercy towards us. 
His power given to us and His mercy to bestow that upon us. God has the power to save us and the mercy to do so. So we should always turn to Him in all situations that we face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are a God that is powerful. You are a God that has defeated sin and death and You are a God that has come, that loves us, that sent Your Son here on this earth. And so I pray right now that You would help us to be humble like this Father, to admit that there are places in our lives that we have unbelief. But we want to believe more and so I pray that You would help us in our unbelief. Lord, I pray that You would encourage and strengthen us as we walk in our day-to-day lives, and I pray that you would help us to take this word and to apply it in our lives. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.